Okay, we're right. We're on the air now. Sorry about that. I should have done that before, but I only remembered when we were sitting there during the service. It's great to be here with you today. And as uh, we go through the text, uh, you've got that there in your cornerstone, of course, So uh, uh, corner post, I should say. So please uh, just follow that through as we go. But let's pray. Dear Lord, help us today to delve into the lives of several people who lived over 2,800 years ago. May we learn that even though the culture was so different, these people were quite similar to us. And you, Lord, worked in their hearts as you do today. Please work in our heart so we may help others and that you may receive glory and honour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to start uh, today with the last two verses of our text, verses uh, 15 and 16. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept the gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. So we're at that part in the story where Naaman has actually been healed of his leprosy, and he's coming now to give Elisha the gift that he has brought with him. And we need to understand that this gift is a huge gift. We're talking about 69 kilograms of gold, 340 kilograms of silver, and 10 sets of fine clothes. And and the 10 sets of fine clothes were probably the type of thing that the Hollywood A-listers will wear when they go to the Oscars, you know, $20,000 or $30,000 for a gown. We're talking about expensive clothing. Just to give you an idea of how big the gift was, the gold that Naaman brought with him was enough to pay the annual pay of 600 workers. And the gold, just to give you an idea, Naaman brought with him 10 talents of, uh, sorry, of silver. Omri, when he purchased the land on which he built the capital of Samaria, he paid two talents of silver. Naaman brought with him 10 talents of silver. If Elisha accepted the gift from Naaman, he would be a very wealthy man. So this is a serious gift. And right here, the understanding of God's grace for Naaman, it sits on a knife edge. Will Elisha accept the gift or will he reject it? Well, Elisha in God does the right thing. And through refusing the gift, he declares to Naaman, that you cannot buy God. You cannot purchase God's favour and you cannot purchase your way into heaven. 
Now, we are so used to buying things in our life. If we want something, we go to the corner store, we go into the CBD, we go to a shopping centre, we can buy whatever we want. We can even nowadays sit in our lounge room and buy things from all over the world. I got a knock on the door one day and I opened the door and there was the the postie and came with a parcel because my son had purchased a hike tent from the United Kingdom. I thought, what a crazy world we are living in. But you see, we're just so used to buying things. And of course, we know that the more money that you have, the more you can purchase. Well, Naaman had lots of wealth. And he could purchase pretty much whatever he wanted. He could have gone into all the local markets of Aram and and, and bought up a huge shopping spree. He bought off the travellers who came. They brought their fine clothes. They brought other wares that they got in faraway places. Naaman could buy pretty much whatever he wanted. But all his wealth, was no use to win God's favour. All of Naaman's high status was of no use to win God's favour because it is only with a humble heart that we come to God. We yield our life to him and we put our faith in Jesus. That is the only way to find healing and salvation for our life. And we're going to see how that plays out in this story. There are four main characters. Elisha, the prophet of God. Naaman, who we've been talking about, the Aramean army commander. And there's Israel's king, who's believed to be Jehoram. And then there is an unnamed Israelite servant girl, captive in Aram. Now, Elisha, he was especially gifted by God and he was necessary to God's plans. And God does that for his plans and purposes. Along the, the way, God will raise up people who are especially gifted and talented. And we might think of people like Martin Luther and John Calvin who we remember 500 years after they've gone. And we'll remember them in another 500 years, and another 1,000 years, if the Lord tarries that long. And God needs sometimes these special people, these standout kind of people that, that really are just especially gifted. God needs those people. But mostly... God uses us. Mostly, God uses just, can I say, ordinary people. I hope you don't mind me saying that about you, but I think most of us, we're just fairly ordinary people getting along with our day-to-day lives. But we're going to see in the story how God wants to use us. Come back to Naaman. Naaman has everything. He has high position, high status, the favour of the king of Aram, his master. Naaman has wealth. He has honour. And most likely, because he's the commander of the army, most likely he has courage 
and he's probably one of those fellows with a commanding presence. He also seems to be quite a reasonable fellow because um, he listens to his servants. He doesn't seem to be like an evil tyrant. He seems to be quite a reasonable sort of a fellow. But along with all the positives, there are negatives as well. He's fiercely proud. He has high expectations to match his status. And he's easily angered when events don't go his way. So we read in verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Now, Elisha doesn't even bother to go out and meet Naaman. He doesn't bother to go out and greet him. He sends out a messenger. He wasn't being deliberately rude, but Elisha was challenging Naaman's pride. So Naaman's thinking to himself, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. You see, Naaman expected some pomp and ceremony, a bit of pizzazz to go with his high status. He had just travelled 200 kilometres to get there and we're told that they had horses and chariots Well, even if all the soldiers that came with him and the servants had ridden on the chariots, it still would have been quite a few days' journey. If some of them had walked on foot, it would have been a long journey to get there. And I can imagine that as Naaman is travelling, what is he going to do as he's riding in his chariot? He can't listen to ABC News 24-hour radio. He can't listen to iTunes. He can't play his favourite Spotify playlist. All he can do is just stand there in his chariot and look at the countryside and think. And I can imagine that as he's travelling over those days, he's got this going round and round in his mind what is going to happen when he meets the prophet Elisha. He's playing it out. And he's imagining that he's going to come with his entourage, pull up outside Elisha's home, and Elisha's going to come out, probably even bow before him in respect to somebody of such high position. And and then there's a bit of pizzazz and a bit of pomp and ceremony so that he can be healed. In verse 12, Naaman says, Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? 
You see, this is now the pride and arrogance of Naaman coming through. He wants God to heal him, but he wants God to heal him on his own terms. And God will never meet us on our own terms. But it's his servants who know humility, who understand humility, they come and correct Naaman. So in verse 13 we read, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? You see, a proud person will do a great thing to be saved. But to humble oneself, And yield by faith to Jesus, who was born in a stable, who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, forget it. Most people rather trust in their own achievements because many, like Naaman, are proud and arrogant. You see, when Naaman said this, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. That's like somebody today saying, is not my life better than so many others? Surely I'm good enough to get into heaven. How could God refuse me? And if, if I need to do something to earn God's favour, let it be something great so that I can boast. And what does Ephesians tell us? It is not by works so that no one can boast. As I get around visiting people in the rural areas of Tasmania, they're the Christians, of course, but all the unbelievers I can basically place into two categories and tell you what they're going to be like. There are the atheists who who just say there's no God, there's no higher power, there's nothing at all, they just don't believe it. And then there are the agnostics, the people who will say to me, yes, look, I, I believe that there may be a God, or they might even say, yes, I believe there is a God of some type, there's some higher power out there. But then they also go on to say that, If there is such a thing as heaven, if there is a time of accountability when you die and you get to go and be with God, they always say that they are okay, their life's okay, and they're going to make it on their own. They are good enough to win God's favour. But you see, it is only when Naaman humbles himself under the hand of God, that healing and salvation enters his life. Do we need to humble ourselves? Are some of us here today still trying to earn our way to heaven? Are we trying to earn our way uh, into God's favour? Are we trying to buy God with our own effort? It just won't work. If Elisha was standing here now as the representative of God, he would not accept your gift. He would not accept your efforts. 
It is only as we humble ourselves before the Lord, it is only as we accept the gift of salvation, the free gift that comes to us through the cross and the resurrection, only then do we find healing and salvation in our life. Maybe for many of us, we have long ago accepted that. Maybe we have humbled ourselves before the Lord and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. But are there other areas of our life where we need to humble ourselves? Are there areas of our life and we're trying to hang on? Do we need to let go and let God in? Are we fiercely hanging on to our time and, and sort of saying, well, well, Lord, back off. You know, I'm, I'm giving you this much, but don't ask for any more. Do we need to humble ourselves and, and say, God, my time is your time? Are we hanging on to our finances? You know, we're sort of like we're saying, God, God, get away. Get away. These are mine. They're my finances. Please just keep away. Do we need to humble ourselves and release our finances to God and the work of his kingdom? Let's have a look at the king of Israel. He receives a letter from the king of Aram and the letter says, I'm sending Naaman to you so you can cure him of his leprosy. And what did the king of Israel do? He did a panic. He threw what we call a hissy fit. And yet he was the privileged king. And yet he turned out to be a very poor servant of God. He represented God in name only and barely that. He had no faith and no trust in God. And yet that was meant to be his duty as king. But he failed miserably as God's servant, as God's ambassador. And then we come to the servant girl who is captive in Aram. And in stark contrast to the king, who was a poor servant of God, we see this servant girl who acts more like a king of Israel should act. Let's read her story. Verse 2. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She had faith in God, that God would heal Naaman through the prophet. This is a definite statement. She's not saying, or if Naaman goes to see the prophet, maybe he might be healed. Perhaps it might happen. She makes a definite faith statement. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She has faith to the point of, can I say it, putting her own neck on the chopping block. Because if this doesn't work, when Naaman returns, how is it going to go for her? We read in verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. 
I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. So Naaman heads off to see the prophet. He's gone to the king. The king's given his blessing. The king's given him a letter. He takes this huge gift that would make a man wealthy. He goes with his horses and his chariots and his soldiers and his servants. This is a huge entourage. This is a really big deal. Can you imagine if he's spending days travelling back and he has not been healed, how utterly humiliated Naaman would be? And how would it go for that poor little servant girl, captive in Aram, when her master returns, suffering such humiliation and is now without hope? She is a captive of Aram. She is utterly vulnerable and helpless, yet she speaks up for God. Compare her with the king of Israel who was free. He was in his palace with his advisors and his army and he didn't have a skerrick of faith to proclaim God. But God used this nameless servant girl to bring about the healing and salvation of the powerful Aramean commander. God placed her there and she was faithful. What about us? Will we be faithful? You see, God can use us. He will use people like us if we are faithful. Most people who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, they are not going to meet an Elisha. They are not going to meet a Calvin or a Luther. They're going to meet us, ordinary, humble people like us, getting about our daily Christian life. Will we be faithful when those people come knocking on our door, will we be faithful to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? But now a bit more about this girl. She had been taken captive. And can you imagine the fear and the trauma when she was wrenched away from her family and all that she knows and holds dear and she may never see her village or her family ever again She's been stolen out of a family that no doubt worshipped God and she's been taken into this pagan nation where they worship idols. Did she struggle with that? We can be certain that she did. She was a real person. She was not impervious to the pain and the hurt that was brought upon her. She was not an automaton who cannot feel the pain and the sting of injustice and misery and of being ripped from her mother's arms and the family she may never see again. And friends, it may quite literally have been like that. I can imagine the the raiders coming and her mother actually holding that girl in her arms, trying to keep her 
and, and these raiders, these men pulling her away, can you imagine the screams and the utter terror? And, and as the girl is now caught up in the arms of these raiders, the girl, as she's going, is hearing the wailing and screaming of her mother. And that is no doubt for the next weeks and months, probably what she goes to sleep with, just this terror playing over and over in her mind. And yet, we find here in this story that she's not bitter. She's not angry. She's not full of vengeful thoughts. And I can imagine her thinking something like, oh, hooray, Naaman's got leprosy. It's his fault. He's, he's the commander of all these raiders and these soldiers and, and he's got leprosy and I hope he just gets covered with it and I hope he dies a very painful and slow and disgraceful death. Friends, of all the people who, who you would think would have a right to think like that, it would be her. But she doesn't. And to me, she is the real hero of this story. Because somehow, in the midst of her suffering, this girl's heart has become beautiful. She has risen above the cruel, miserable, sinful, unfair world to display love and care and incredible faith in God. She has seen God. Not literally, of course, but through spiritual revelation. She knows God. She knows what he is like and she has been transformed. Do we have areas of our life that need to be transformed? Are we angry, bitter, or vengeful? The release is not in payback. The release is in rising above it all in God's strength and character to be so free and released, that bitterness has no hold. Are we fearful? The remedy is not in panicking like the king of Israel did. The remedy for our fear is in God's transforming power that makes fear flee before us being chased away by faith. And we come to the final character in the story, and that is God. Let's read about God in verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Who would have thought it? Naaman certainly didn't think it. Naaman wasn't aware that long before his healing and his coming to faith, that God had already been at work in his life, granting him success. Because God is at work to bring about his purposes in ways that often we do not see 
and certainly in ways that often we do not understand. But this is where we have faith in God. Whether we can see it or not, whether we understand it or not, we put our faith and trust in God who knows what he is doing. We are comforted to know that this world is not hurtling downwards on a path to destruction completely out of control. We are comforted because God is in control. Even in this crazy COVID year where it's like the world's been turned upside down, the world is not out of control. God is in control and we can put our faith and our trust in him. We may not understand what God's doing. We may not even see what God's doing, but God is at work to bring about his plans and his purposes. We might argue then and say, yes, but there's a whole lot of bad things happening. But we need to remember that there were a whole lot of bad things happening 2,000 years ago when God brought Jesus into the world, Emmanuel, God with us. And God was at work through the servant girl to enable the healing of Naaman and to bring honour to his own name. But to work through the servant girl, God was at work in her. And God brought in her heart humility, forgiveness, tenderness rather than bitterness, care for her master rather than hatred and vengeance. And God worked in her faith, amazing faith and worship of God. And that is why God says to his people who are in exile, and he says it through the prophet Ezekiel, God says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God does. He gives us a soft heart, a teachable heart, a pliable heart, a heart that is open to the ways of God. And God does that today through Jesus. And we read in Galatians 4, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts to give us a soft heart, a teachable heart, a pliable heart, a gracious heart, a merciful heart, a forgiving heart, a peacemaking heart, a heart that will give out to people wherever it can. And God does it. And all that he asks of us is that we allow him to work in our heart. I'm going to close with the words of a Christian song. O Lord, your tenderness... Melting all my bitterness, O Lord, I receive your love. O Lord, your loveliness, changing all my ugliness, O Lord, I receive your love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you transform our hearts through Jesus and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. 
Help us to walk humbly before you. And may your love melt any anger or unforgiveness in our life. May the faith you grow in us chase away any fear. We want to be beautiful people on the inside, reflecting your beauty and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.